everyone, and welcome back to the Rumcast. This is the podcast that talks all things rum related with the people who love and shape it. My name is John Gulla, and here with me is Mr. Nashville, otherwise known as Will Hookinga. <laughs> and Will, we're, we're recording this both during homecoming week here at the University of Miami, and it's almost Halloween. I feel like that fits with this episode we have lined up for today, since we have two previous guests of the podcast coming back on the program. So it's sort of a quasi-homecoming themselves. A bit of a homecoming. A focus, yeah. Maybe, maybe yeah. a sequel, kind of. I feel like Halloween is a big sequel season with all the, ah. the movies and everything, you know. But this won't this won't be a bad sequel like a lot of the the, the horror film sequels. This is a good sequel. Agreed. Yes. And, and uh, do you celebrate much, Will, with Halloween? I don't. Honestly, I'm an extremely boring Halloween person. I think the last time, well, I mean, there were a couple times in college where, uh, you know, I went to a party dressed up, that kind of thing. But when I was a yeah. kid, I think after the age of 12 or so, I was pretty much done with dressing up. And I'm not really into horror movies. You know, we, we put yeah. some we put some pumpkins out on the front porch, uh, you know, some seasonal mums, that kind of thing. You, you're That's, like low effort Halloween. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Low effort Halloween. I don't, I've just never been a Halloween person, you know, I don't really go all out for it. So, but Probably, other people yeah. are enjoying it. It's great. I was, I, I walked right through the middle of a trunk or treat last night on, on the way to a uh, treat. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not familiar with this. So you don't wait, you don't know what that is. No, I've never heard of trunk or treat before. I, I was just, well, so I was on my way to the ESL class I do, and I was uh, explaining to a lot of the students what trunk or treat is because a lot of them are new to the U.S. Uh-huh. and you know they're from mostly familiar with trick or treating, but trunk or treat is a new phenomenon, and I definitely didn't think that there would be someone who's lived in the U.S. their entire life and doesn't know what trunk or treat is. Never heard of this, no. So I think I think it's basically I think it came out a little bit of everyone freaking out about you know like needles and Halloween candy and going to strangers' mm-hmm. houses and stuff like that. And yeah, so the concept yeah. is, I mean, some people just do it for fun. It's not out of like concern or whatever, but it's people bring their cars to a parking lot or something of that nature and they have their trunks popped open and like decorated and stuff and they stand outside their trunks and pass huh. out candy that way. So the, you know, the kids are all dressed up and they go up to the trunks and they get candy and stuff. I think this is correct. Honestly, I've never participated in one. I've just observed it. <laughs> so maybe I'm getting it totally wrong. But anyway, the the school that I was going to last night, they had a trunk or treat in the parking lot. So I saw the little kids in their costumes. And I was like, oh, yeah, Halloween's cool. But that's about as far as I go with it. Wow. Uh, yeah, no, the, I don't think I've ever really seen that here, to my knowledge. Of course, I could be wrong. But South Florida maybe is just different. And I, I used to do the house thing when I was a kid, like you said, same yeah. thing, you know, when I was like maybe 12 or so, I was done with it. I remember one year I did win a costume contest Oh, uh, for being an upside down man. Upside this down was like, man? Yeah, what does this that was look like? like? So like you had like the fake head and it was like you wore like shoulder pads that would come up. So you your your fake head was like... Sorry, now I have it backwards. Oh, Jesus. No, it was your fake head was between your, your legs. Okay. And then the, the shoulder pads covered your actual head, so you just stuck your arms in the air. Oh, and wow. And those were your legs, and I would walk around like that. And, uh, was this a costume took, you bought, or did you have to make no, this? No, it was made. We wow. made it at home, yeah. And then I won again for being Shredder one year. I think oh, my from, mom from made Ninja that Turtles? costume. That's so embarrassing to say on a podcast. My mom made this costume that I wore when I was young and I won a Halloween contest. Yes. That, I mean, that's Ninja not Turtles. embarrassing. You know, when you're a kid, that's that's natural. That's awesome. Yeah. You got a shredder costume. I'll have to dig up costume. a picture of that. It was pretty was, badass as a shredder costume. I, I was a big... Actually, so the last time I ever dressed up for Halloween was in college when my band played at a Halloween party. 
Your and, band, you say, yes? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. And, and we all wanted to dress up and be on theme. And we dressed up as the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And awesome. like full on like face paint, everything. I've got some pictures of it. I'll, I I'll, feel I'll text like, them to you. Uh, but uh, okay. It was, Let me guess which okay, one yeah, you Okay, guess were. which one I was. I feel like you were Donatello, purple. I was Donatello. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, I don't know something about you. I, you give me a Donatello vibe, so you were on. That's perfect. I, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 he struck me as kind of a little more reserved, highly intelligent, and I think yeah, I just yeah. gravitated toward that. So, yep. yeah, I was Donatello. I feel like, and I'll let you say, but I feel like I'm stuck between Michelangelo and Raphael a little bit. Ma- Michelangelo, uh, for, wait, Mac- Michelangelo is the kind of goofball one, right? The orange one with and, the nunchucks. Yeah, yeah. Ra- Raphael's kind of the the leader. No, no. Know. Leonardo leads. Leonardo. Donatello oh, okay. does machines. Come on, Will. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's been a long Raphael time. Raphael is cool but rude. Okay. And Michelangelo is a party dude. That's, I don't remember all the, the lore, thing. so. <laughs> Thank you for catching me up. <laughs> All right. Well, br- bringing it back to rum a little bit. Um, well, I wanted to ask, have you ever done anything rum related in terms of a costume or anything like that? No, not at all. Neither had I, but I've seen other people do it. I think, you know, the Jack Sparrow or Captain Morgan thing's probably overdone, but I feel like I have a good costume. Oh, uh, yeah. What, yeah. What What is it? It's a broken cork. <laughs> a broken cork? But how is that yeah. related just to rum? That could be any spirit, right? Oh, I guess it could be. Well, I'll just put rum on my chest and walk okay, around. There you go. I don't know. That, w- that, was would, a- be, that would be kind of cool. You could go as a broken cork and I could go as a screw cap. There you go. That is scary. <laughs> I agree. Oh, my God. This is this is terrible. But I, I think Halloween's fun. I just haven't been into it, like you said. And I've, I've seen a lot of other people that enjoy a lot of rum activities while they're in costume. So if there are good costumes out there that we should be thinking about rum-related, I would love to hear them. Yeah, yeah. Send us your rum-related Halloween costume ideas. And yeah, we can share some of them. But John, I've mostly been wrapped up in thinking about the argument we had during our mailbag episode that released hmm. a couple weeks ago. I think more so than anything we've talked about the podcast, we got the most and the strongest reactions from this disagreement we had than anything else. And the reactions were all over the map. Some people totally agreed with you. Some totally agreed with me. It was really interesting. Strongly agreed. Yeah. Yes. And, And what I'm referring to is we had a mailbag question that was essentially give us, you know, an underrated rum producing country. And I chose to answer it from two perspectives. One was an underrated rum country among just the general public, and then an underrated Mm -hmm. rum country among just rum nerds, you know, because I feel like it's two different answers. And I won't, I'll try just to sum up uh, what I said originally, but my answer for the general public was Jamaica, which, you know, sounds surprising. But my point was, I think Jamaican rum is absolutely should be on the same level as scotch, cognac, you know, whatever the the tip top of the regional spirit types that are out there. Jamaican rum should be known as like the same level of reputation as those things among the general public. Mm. And it's so far from that. That was my argument. We went back and forth on it. At some point during the argument, I said, I bet if you asked people to name a Jamaican distillery, less than 10% of people would be able to name Appleton as one. And I chose Appleton because of the distilleries in Jamaica that rum nerds are familiar with, it's like the most 
the most likely for someone to have heard of before. You know, Hampton and Worthy Park are great, but I think we can all agree are a little, you know, much further under the public radar than Appleton is. You disagreed strongly and said you thought at least 40% would. So am I, is that an accurate re- recounting of the argument? I don't want to like, you know, hedge it too strongly in my favor. Well, I think what I was saying, yes, you're close, but I was what I was saying was I think 40% of people recognize Appleton as a Jamaican rum, and I think that's where I'm coming from. Like, it's a known thing to, I said less than half, 40%, but still not like nobody. And so that's where I was at. I know you were at, what, 10% is what you said. Less than 10%, yeah. Less than 10%. So, so we got some strong reactions. I, I want to read a few of them and then share a little bit of independent polling that I did. So first of all, I'll, I'll share the, the Will pro arguments, and then I'll share two John pro arguments. So okay. Chris responded on our Patreon. He said, Will is 100 emoji, 100 emoji, 100 emoji, three 100 emojis, John. <laughs> on the Jamaican rum underappreciated question. And I'd never heard of Appleton until I got into Tiki and got Smuggler's Cove. Whereas how many people who aren't drinkers or into spirits know what Lagavulin is? Kevin Crossman of Ultimate Mai Tai, he added, John is so wrong about Jamaican rum. Uh, that's that's all he had to say. I just wanted to put that in there. So, oh, I, uh, I think even it was it was like he was just like John so wrong. I think yeah. it was it's the most economical use of speech there. Nope, just three words is all I can give you. John so wrong. It said John so wrong about Jamaican rum. That's right. Yeah. So so those were a couple of the reactions we got in my favor. In your favor, a friend of the podcast Lance Tourish Bali of the Lone Caner messaged us, and he did a little bit of his own independent bowling, and this was after him just completely completely lambasting me is it lambast or lambaste yeah lambaste i think i would say okay. yeah either which yeah. however you say it that's what he did to me in, in his message to us about how wrong i was about jamaican rum and what a silly answer it was he said i asked 15 people around my office completely at random they all knew jamaica made good rums which aside that's not the argument i was making right. anyway continuing right. with lance Eight knew what funkiness was or had heard of the concept. Fourteen heard of Appleton and ten knew of more than Appleton. So that was pretty stunning independent research to me from Lance, who I I believe is in Canada at at this point. So I almost wanted to ask Lance, like, did you get a job at Appleton Satellite Office in Canada (laughs) that that you had that level of response? That one Um, person working for them that still never heard of it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, okay, that one, you know, completely flies in the face of what I was saying. We also had Gretchen who responded on Facebook and said... Do people know Appleton? I have bartended since 2005, and yes, y'all, everyone used to only know Appleton because it was one of the only brands of rum besides Bacardi that people knew. Have y'all ever bartended? So my guess is more like 80% of people only know Bacardi, Appleton, and maybe Don Q. Uh, And to answer your question, Gretchen, no, I've never bartended. I don't believe John has ever bartended either. So, yeah. I have not. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, it, it was great to get that perspective. And it made me curious to get more bar perspectives. And so this is where my independent research came in. And I turned to the bartenders subreddit community. 
And I actually, in the process of doing this, I didn't realize, I didn't look at these subreddit rules close enough. And I actually, <laughs> I'm ashamed to admit it, and I felt bad afterwards. I broke one of the rules of the subreddit, which is that it is a space oh. just for bartenders. It's not a place for non-bartender idiots mm. like me to come in and be like, hey, I'm not a bartender, but what do you guys think about this question? So... Mm. Anyway, I'd posed my question and I got a lot of responses, but eventually, I think once the community moderator saw it, they shut it down and actually gave me a 30-day ban from the community. So oh, I really I sacrificed a lot to <laughs> to get this. And if any, you know, community members of the bartender subreddit are listening, I do apologize. I did feel bad about breaking the community rules. It was unintentional. I, I tried to come with respect, Gosh. but I, I do Will respect the rule those. breaker, the yeah, rebel over here. I know, I felt bad about it. So anyway, I posted a poll in there, and I'll read to you the language that I prompted the poll with. So I said, okay. a buddy and I were recently having a friendly argument about rum, and we're hoping y'all could weigh in. We're both spirits enthusiasts, but have never worked in the bar field. If you asked customers to name some Jamaican rums, what percentage would be able to list Appleton off the top of their head? Your expertise is appreciated. And I gave... Six options to answer with, 10% or fewer, 10 to 30%, 30 to 40%, 40 to 50%, 50 to 75%, or over 75%. Before my post was shut down, it got 104 votes, and 60 out of 104 selected 10% or fewer. Hmm. 23 out of 104 selected 10 to 30%. And then between the rest, let's see, there were 9, 15, 21 out of 104 selected something over 30%. So really lopsided in favor of 10% or fewer. Also just a few comments. There a few people responded and had some interesting perspectives to share. So we had one user said, nobody in the U.S. knows rums despite how amazing a spirit it is. My guess is you would have trouble getting past Captain, 100%, Bacardi, 90%, Kraken, 60%, Goslings, 50%, Mount Gay, 30%, anything else less than 10%. And there were, you know, some people chimed in. A few people said, you know, it's going to vary wildly depending on type of bar and geographic location, which is... That's true. Is is very true, and, you know, I acknowledge. But so I felt a little bit validated in my perspective by that. Now, of course, I also recognize depending on where you are in the world, you might get different results. But speaking from my experience in the US, that's what the point I was trying to make is that there's just a general lack of understanding that not only does great rum come from Jamaica, but that great rum can be appreciated on the level of other spirits, you know, prestige spirits like scotch, mm-hmm. cognac, etc. It can be sipped neat, all that kind of stuff. So anyway, what do you do you have any reaction to this groundbreaking research that I've just unveiled? Yeah, well, first of all, it's very flawed. Um, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> you try you're, you're trying to, to say it's not statistically significant. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if I trust it 100 percent, 40 percent trust it. So it, it, the the point there that I think you hit on, which I just want to make a quick comment on, is regional and or, you know, city versus another area, like large city. I've lived my life basically here in South Florida, especially in the Miami area. But in South Florida, we do have a huge Jamaican population. Sure. And just general Caribbean type of 
kind of vibes and atmosphere. Sure. And I agree with that person who said, you know, it's Appleton, Bacardi, and everything else. Yeah. It's kind of how I feel, but mm. that's based on the where I live and where I've grown up and, you know, was raised here in this area. I've right. also lived in New York for a little while, and I lived outside of Washington, D.C. for a little while. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like it was very different with regards to that perspective in those places. However... The rest of the United States, yeah, I, I, it may well be different. So I, I'm willing to to cede that, you know, in Idaho, I don't know, I don't want to pick on Idaho, but you know, uh, like somewhere, it's a safe bet, probably. <laughs> Land, yeah. you know, choose, choose the landlocked state of your the, choice. The one person that's listening right now from Idaho goes, "Hey, <laughs> we've um, got more than one person in Idaho, John. Just don't sell us short, okay? We're huge in Idaho. We do numbers in Idaho." <laughs> Um, yeah, I feel like they're probably less so for Appleton. But in the East Coast, number one, and number two is in the big cities, I feel like it would be closer. But then again, I'm not a bartender, and you had a bunch of bartenders say otherwise. So Or know people at least- pretending to be bartenders, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> Well, they're going to get booted from the subreddit in that case. Well, no, uh, you're allowed to be there. You just, you know, the the post, the posting uh, of topics oh, okay. is for bartenders. Yeah, gotcha. I will acknowledge I broke the rules uh, unknowingly, but I still did it. Right. And I'll accept well, my 30 day ban graciously. The fact that you broke the rules to do this invalidates all of that research anyways. So we'll have <laughs> to have in somebody eligible else report now. in. This is like uh, college inadmissible athletics. in court. Yeah, okay. It is inadmissible. It. Inadmissible. Uh, all right, All right, we should get on to our wonderful we, we should. interview here. We yeah. should, yeah. We've got a great interview. This is a, a topic we've wanted to dive a little bit deeper into for a while now. And that topic is going a little bit before rum. So what we use to make rum. I say we, you know, John and I don't make rum. <laughs> I'm saying the rum making community. Uh, we wanted the to Royal talk about... We. Yes, we wanted to talk talk about molasses production, the differences in types of molasses, like how molasses is even made within the sugar production process. And so we were fortunate enough to have two people who are very knowledgeable about this. We had Maggie Campbell, who is the estate manager at Mount Gay, and Zan Kong, who is the commercial manager for spirits at Worthy Park in Jamaica, speaking of Jamaica, Jamaica, mm-hmm. um, a wonderful Jamaican distillery. And both of them have interesting perspectives on this because both of these distilleries are not typical at all in how they... Uh, source at least some of their molasses in in worthy parks case it's all of their molasses in mount gay's case it's for now a small portion of their molasses but to start with worthy park before kind of the modern like return of rum to worthy park which is in the early 2000s worthy park was manufacturing sugar for a long time and they still do that you can buy Mm -hmm. you know worthy park sugar so they have access to their own molasses they can get directly from their own mill which you know, creates the molasses from sugarcane that is grown in their fields. Most right. dis- modern distilleries now do not have something like that. There, there are some others, but it's, you know, it's definitely not the average setup. Mount Gay, on the other hand, this is something we've talked about in several of our other episodes, kind of an ongoing storyline in rum. They built their own sugar mill recently and did that, you know, because they want, they've, started growing cane around the property years ago. The The planning for the mill goes back quite a while, I think maybe 2016, 2015, something like that. And it's been a big part of Trudy Ann Branker's vision, who's currently the master blender there. 
And this is kind of in the news recently because just this past week, Mount Gay announced the first release in their single estate rum collection. And that's basically where this sugar mill fits in. They're going to have a line of products that are made with molasses that comes from their sugar mill. That was, you know, the the molasses was made from sugarcane grown right in their fields. I do believe this initial release, the molasses for this, they got, this was before their mill was ready. So they sourced that molasses from a local Barbados sugar mill that I think like mm-hmm. stopped everything and did, did molasses the way, we're, uh, sorry, Mount Gay wanted it to be made there. So that release is in the news. People were really excited about it. And anyway, my, my whole point in mentioning that is since Maggie has been there over the past, I guess maybe it's been close close to two years, maybe two years now. Yeah, it feels um, like. Mm-hmm. She's been very involved in the estate program and has done a lot of stuff relating to the sugar mill, has become uh, very knowledgeable on the sugar making process. Obviously, Zan has had a lot of exposure to that as well at Worthy Park. So it's just a deep dive into molasses, the different types of molasses, molassi, molasses. I've never used the, the, the plural of that, that can be used in rum production. And we also get into kind of concerns about molasses's future that's been an ongoing topic of discussion with lots of producers we have on the show is just the quality right. of molasses is got has gotten lower for for lots of reasons you know when mm-hmm. sugar mills are produced they, they they exist to make sugar not molasses and so their go- the goal for many of them is right. to extract as much sugar as possible from the molasses yeah. which you know in changes- turn leaves you with less in sugar content in the molasses itself. Yes, right. which changes fermentation and all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. So just a deep, nerdy dive with two extremely fun people to talk about rum with. We also touched on the new release I mentioned from Mount Gay. We talk about that at the beginning. And we also talk about some new stuff that Worthy Park recently debuted at the UK Rum Fest, a new overproof mm-hmm. rum from Worthy Park. So excited to get into all that. But anything to add before we take things over to the interview? No, the only thing I would say was what was different than what we usually do, which I appreciated, is it was less of an interview format this time and just more of kind of a discussion on the topic, mm, which yeah. was which was kind of a fun way to do this. You know, we're we're used to talking to many times somebody new that we haven't talked to before, and we're you know asking them questions to get a lot of this information. Whereas here, it felt like I mentioned at the outset the homecoming. It kind of felt like a nice gathering of people we already knew each other and just talking about, like you said, a deep dive into this concept that is fascinating and which I think more people who love rum should really know a little bit more about. So, you know, I think it it helps us to frame uh, a part of the conversation about rum we just don't get to talking to very much. For sure. Yeah, I'm super excited for people to hear it. So we'll take a quick break to hear from the sponsor of this episode and then we'll get right to it. Hey, Rumcasters. One thing Will and I have long begged for is smaller sized rum bottles. Sometimes we want to be able to try a new rum without having to spend more than $100 on a full 750 milliliter. But that's just one of the reasons we're excited about a new independent bottler out of Boston called Raising Glasses. They've just released their latest line of rums in 375 milliliter bottles that typically retail for less than $50. The Folklore line of rums from Raising Glasses currently has seven different single cask releases, all over 57.5% ABV, and all featuring original artwork of a mythological creature from its country of origin. What origins might those be? How about Burning Cane, which is a cask-strength 15-year-old Foursquare? 
Moongazer, a nine-year-old 100% for sales wooden pot still from Guyana, or Guardians, an eight-year-old Trinidad that I called one of our top rums of 2022. They even have brand new releases including a 14-year from Venezuela, a pair of nine-year-olds from Thailand, and the terrifying Yowie, a 68.3% 16-year Australian beast. These are all available for online ordering in 41 states in the U.S., and you can also find them in retail stores in both Massachusetts and New York. So be sure to get them at RaisingGlasses.com before the Yowie gets you. Now back to the show. All right, we're here with Maggie Campbell and Zan Kong, both making, we were just talking about this, repeat appearances, not only repeat, this is Maggie's third time and Zan's second time, which means that y'all have been on about 5% of Rumcast episodes at this point, because we're almost at 100, where like, I think this is what, John, 94, 95? Yeah. So almost 5% of Rumcast episodes. And I think there's a reason for that. People just love to hear from you guys. So thank you for, for being back once again. As I was just telling you, Zan, the, the belt, the, the the guest belt for the Rumcast is in the mail. So just, just keep an eye out for that. Ready, what would that even look like? Me. I'm sorry. What would that belt even look like? I just... I have I to mean, put it into my wrestler, head. Wrestler heavyweight champion. It has to, exactly. Yeah, it has to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like WW WWF, not even E. WWF, yeah. like old school original. Old there's, school. There's a lot belt. of gold involved. I feel like maybe we should do some diamonds. I was just ju- watching like the NBA started last night. It was ring night for the Nuggets and I was watching mm-hmm. the ring presentation and they have all these like compartments that pull out of it and diamonds and stuff. So I think we should go all out and and do something along so those lines. So it's got lines, bling. But, okay. Yeah, Blingy. exactly. Can I go off on a tangent already? Yeah, you can. Why not? This is the tangent cast. (laughs) You've been here before. All right. So wrestling, right? Does that you remember the Bushwhackers? Yes. I I don't remember the Bushwhackers. Oh, old are you? Thirty-five. And you don't remember the Bushwhackers? I I, I never had a wrestling phase growing up. You know, a lot of my friends were into it. Too cultured for that. Um, Okay, okay, okay. Maggie trivia. I have a scar six stitches (gasps) in my chin for after church watching wrestling. Oh my gosh! Uh, A little after church wrestling. Yeah. Yeah, we were watching WWF old school. What was the move? I didn't want to miss anything, and I was like running to get water in those like white tights with the pink hearts. From like the 80s, oh, and yeah. I slipped and I split open my chin, and the ER is like, "Oh, we see these wrestling accidents all the time." Oh, I thought gosh. it was going to be so, like a you were you saw a move watching wrestling, and you and a sibling or something oh, like practiced it. On each other. I did that. <laughs> I power bombed my brother once and got in super trouble for that. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but you guys remember? I, I only found out like yesterday, and it was on one of those remember the 90s Instagram accounts. I didn't realize the Bushwhackers had accents. Like I thought they were like American, Southern American, but they're like, I, I and I'm just going to be ignorant here. It was like somewhere in it was like either Irish or uh, English accents. I didn't know. Wow. That. Did you know this? I did not know huh. that. This is news to me. I don't yeah. remember this. I'm gonna have to look like, it up. It was like that. What's that thing where you know we all remember the Mandela effect? Yes. Right. Yeah. Yes. Like I, 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 I watched it and I was like, no. There's no way that these guys are like British. 
Well, maybe they're maybe not. I can. They're they're Kiwis. They're from New Zealand. Oh. I just looked it up, and I oh didn't know this. Oh, yes. <laughs> this is why you couldn't they're, place the accent. Their alternate yeah. names, uh, other than the Bushwhackers, was the Kiwis and the New Zealand sheep. Get out. Yes. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So Meredith, as we, you guys may know, when a rumming head start, one of the biggest rum collectors in the US, Yeah, she loves a Kiwi accent. So Zan, we have a mission. We need to learn some of these phrases and catchphrases. Yeah, no, because, you know, they're, it's not like they're having a conversation, right? So they're just like, and eh, licking yeah, me yeah. in space. And I'm like, what? I'm like, where is this accent from? Baffled. Baffled. Childhood is just... Maybe I can maybe I can rustle up a, a a clip of the bushwhackers talking and we can throw that in the the episode right there or something Hell yeah. Hell so yeah. so the, the people can get a feel and I can get a feel for it too. Um, so that but, took like what thirty five seconds for us to <laughs> go off topic. Well, You're bush, bushwhackers to me. You're welcome. You're welcome. One of the most popular like kind of you know college bar kind of drinks in nashville is called the bushwhacker which it's like a boozy mm. milkshake essentially it's it's an absolutely guaranteed hangover i do not recommend it if you're like <laughs> over the age of 22 so anyway bringing it back to booze i we, we want to talk about sugarcane and molasses and sugar production and all that stuff on this podcast that's why we we brought y'all on but before that there's been so much in the news about both of you, I feel like, A, we should congratulate both of you. Zan Worthy Park just took home the IWSC Rum Producer of the Year Award. And we'll throw in the applause sound effect. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. <laughs> And Maggie, Mount Gay has been in the news all week because the inaugural release of the single estate program was announced. So I think that's something that people were aware was happening there, but people hadn't really gotten to see what it was going to all look like when it came mm -hmm. together. So I'm sure that's been really cool. What, what, what's it been like to finally see a little bit of that project? Because I know that this release was distilled and conceived before you were there, but I also I think your work is involved in the estate program. So what's it kind of like to see that out there and people reacting to it and everything? Yeah, so this has been, you know, eight plus years, yeah. you know, I think yeah. Miguel, who some people here will know. Um, yes, you know, Miguel. So, yeah, good friend of Zan's. He said, yeah. you know, what's it like to keep a secret for 10 years? <laughs> let me tell you. Um, so yeah, this has been in the works for a really long time. It's Trudian's, you know, addition to the standard Mount Gay line. Mm -hmm. Famous, you know, previous mass distiller, master distillers have created their products like Eclipse back in the, I think in mm -hmm. the 20s. And then, you know, XO being created previously, Black Barrel by Alan Smith. And then this is Trudy Ann's sort of vision and concept mm -hmm. that she's really brought to life. You're correct. It's been going on since a long time, since before I arrived. I'm fortunate that in my capacity at Mount Gay, I get to play a small role in this one where I do help with the agricultural team, getting to, you know, work with them. And then also with the sugar mill, which we're going to talk about a lot yes. here. So as my role is sugar mill manager, uh, which is a small, tiny part of my role as well. <laughs> uh, I get to be a part of this in a little way also, but it's definitely Trudy Ann's vision, her and the whole team. You know, it takes an entire entire distillery to bring a product to life and beyond. Yeah. You know, everyone in the team is involved. It has all their fingerprints on it, as Trudy Ann likes to say. So this is really her baby, and it's been really exciting to see it because, you know, Zan and I are both so passionate about sugar making, mm -hmm. sugar estates, how, what a different undertaking that is than if we were to use, you know, exclusively fresh pressed juice, or if we were to bring molasses in, it 
building an air sugar mill was harder than building a distillery from the ground up. It was, you know, when you go to Worthy Park, you go to the distillery and it's this whole expansive building. And then you go to the sugar mill and it's a whole other one. Same is true now at Mount Gay where, you know, it's, it's as technical, it's as difficult. It takes years and investment and, you know, it's not... It's not a gimmick. <laughs> it's pretty right, right. It's pretty serious long-term work. So I'm really excited to see the team roll the single estate out and see people embrace it like so much, you know. It's been exciting. We've been watching, you know, the feedback and hearing, you know, places sell out and it's been very exciting today and yesterday. I am I'm assuming that you have tasted this release. I have. I was fortunate that, okay. you know, I've I've gotten to try it as it's gone through a bit of life. I'm very lucky that Trudy Ann is very, you know, open to getting everyone's feedback and, and people trying. So I've gotten to try it I'll, for a few times. You know, I don't want to put you on the spot too much, but for, for people who have, you know, who are Mount Gay fans and, you know, love EXO and the, 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 the limited releases over the years, the Pot Still ROM release and stuff mm-hmm. like that, how would you say this compares to that? Or like if you had to you know, yeah. contrast them, what would you say people can expect from, from this release? Yeah. Well, it's Trudy's baby. So I always respect and don't want to like speak for her. But right. for me and my impression, you know, it's always going to have the Mount Gay House style. Mm-hmm. We have our style. It's going to be dry, aged in oak. You know, it's not going to have like the flavoring or sweetener additives. It's always so it's gonna Barbados have rum is what you're saying. Yeah. Barbados <laughs> rum. Got it. Okay. It's going to have... <laughs> Can have those classic Mount Gay character and notes, you know, part of terroir is where you distill and where you age. Terroir of the cellar is going to show through, but it has like a, just like a vibrancy and mm. a liveliness and a clarity and a brilliance that I think is really, really special. Awesome. Yeah. No, I, I know people are really excited about that and it was cool. I think I saw like the little label approval come through a few months ago mm-hmm. and then seeing the bottle and everything is, is really exciting. Yeah. Um, Something that was really cool was that when that label approval went through, people were really chill about it, you know, and <laughs> we got to announce our spirit ourselves instead of other people kind of pre-announcing it when they saw that. How did you manage that? I, I don't understand. Like, I didn't even think that was possible anymore. <laughs> I, I, I just was like, I saw that it didn't. And I just, and I, yeah, it's, you know, we just lived our lives and kept working. <laughs> that's, that's what we did. But it was very exciting that we got to announce it ourselves. And the website for the product actually has a ton of information. It really highlights oh, cool. Trudy's process, the estate, the varietals, the distillers, like tons of geeky information there. So if you want to know like what it tastes like, the tasting notes, the style, definitely refer to the website. Okay, nice. nice. Yeah, actually, I actually haven't even looked at that yet. I need to check it out. It's super geeky and awesome. Yeah, I love when brands do that. Invest in websites, brands. Uh, Richard Seal, if you're listening, <laughs> get a website. Um, <laughs> Before, Will, we move on to, I know we want to talk a lot about the sugar process and, and all of that, but Zan also had a product come out yes. recently, or at least I saw a picture of it, which was the Worthy Park Overproof. Yeah. Yeah. Can you can you tell us a little bit more about that? Also, I know we wanted to hear more. I mean, I, I don't think I can follow up so eloquently as Miss Campbell. <laughs> but no, it you know, we I just give you a little of the background. You know, we obviously started with, with Rumbar as our first brand that we came out with. You know, in Jamaica as our first brand that we launched, kinda of put us on the map again. And then uh, you know, we started transitioning to more of the Worthy Park releases. And just that as that demand grew for, you know, People wanted Worthy Park products, wanted Worthy Park official distillery products. We kind of shifted towards more products coming out under that line. And mm-hmm. here at home, 
about two years ago now, we launched Boiler Park Select, which it complemented our Rumbar Gold, but mm-hmm. you know, different different blend, a little bit older, a little bit different price point, just a little to try to capture a little different aspect of the market. And it, the success, I mean, it was really successful for us here. So we followed that with a Worthy Park Rum Cream. So now we have, you know, Rum Bar Rum Cream and Worthy Park Rum Cream. And originally when we started with those two projects, we actually never thought we were going to do a, a Worthy Park Wet Overproof. Um, actually, I, I, I take that back. We didn't think we were going to do one so soon. But okay. both of those products, we started getting a lot of tr- just very positive feedback, very tremendous feedback. Coincidentally, uh, a couple of years ago, we started working with fresh pressed cane juice in, in fermentation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it was just kind of a natural evolution of the way things are going here at the distillery. We said, all right, well, if we're going to launch a worthy park wide overproof to kind of go after a different section of the market, how can we make it different? Right. It, then Rumbar, which is our top product, right? Which is yeah. a little counterintuitive, I think, for most people, but we just, we do things a little differently here. Um, so we said, all right, we have cane juice. We're very confident with the, the, different marks of rum that our distillery can produce. Uh, we're also very confident with our blending team. Obviously, Craig, who you guys know, and, and mm-hmm. blending team that we could come up with a product that is standalone different than than rum bar white overproof. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's that's kind of what, what led to it. So now we have Worthy Park white overproof. We're about to you know launch it here in Jamaica. It's going to get to the States in 2024. Yeah, I, I know you- It's right around I know you, 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 U.S. guys like to play the victim all the time and say you never get the rum first, but we do. Yeah, um, yeah I can, I can almost, without co- confirming it, that you know the states is going to get the Worthy Park White Overproof pretty, pretty quickly. All right. Uh, yeah. So, so you I, can neither I I confirm nor deny that it will be in yeah. the U.S. first. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It will be one of our first. But no, it, it, it's a fantastic product. I got to take it out to. Um, UK Rumfest, which is obviously a great launching yeah. grounds for any brand or any rum that you want. Honest. See, you, you, know, you just talked. Feedback. You just talked about the US is finally going to get something first, and you're like, I had to go introduce it. You know, in the UK, give them the, the, the big introduction first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it, it's like having multiple kids, man. You can't, you can't. <laughs> you know, you got to give a little here, give a little candy over here, a little ice cream there. You got to <laughs> spread the wealth, spread it, spread it. But um, no, and, and the feedback was tremendous. I mean, I saw, you, you know, a, a lot of very positive and, and very humbling in a, in a good way feedback. And, you know, we're super proud of it and, and very excited to, to get it out there. Yeah, John texted me a photo, I think, that he pulled off social media from UK Rum Fest of the Bottle last week, maybe. And yeah. I was like, another Worthy Parker overbrew. First of all, this is awesome. Second of all... You know they have rum bar overproof, so this one has to be different in some way. And we were like, "Do you think there's cane juice in there?" And so I'm like really thrilled to hear that's the case. Is it is it a blend that features cane juice? Okay, it's it's a it's a blend of different marks. So again, it's a complete different blend than yeah. rum bar with overproof. It's not like we just did the same blend and substituted right. cane juice with it. Um, and it's actually a blend of our molasses and cane juice uh, marks. Love it. Yeah, love it. So love the yeah, bottle too. By the way, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Well, on so. on the note of cane and molasses and all that good stuff, let's talk about that. I, I think, you know, John and I have been talking for a while about wanting to do an episode at some point that just dives a little deeper into 
sugar production, molasses production, sugarcane, all that stuff, just because in so many of our conversations, they tend to touch on, especially when talking with molasses rum producers of just ongoing challenges and sourcing molasses, yeah. how molasses is has changing over the years, all the stuff they're having to do to adjust to those changes. We've also talked a lot about kind of more of a trend of producers investing in cane production um, that we're seeing, you know, around the the Caribbean right now, from St. Lucia Distillers to Foursquare to Mount Gay. Um, I'm sure there are others that I'm forgetting right now, but producers wanting to do more than just use a little molasses. They're 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 using juice in different ways. They're they're doing all sorts of different stuff, and it's just kind of an interesting time right now. And you both have kind of front row seats to two producers that are doing things very differently from most in that Zan Worthy Park. I mean, before they kind of relaunched, they brought rum back to Worthy Park. They were in the sugar business producing sugar. Maggie, as we were just talking about Mount Gay, invests in, you know, building a sugar mill from scratch so they can have some of their own locally produced molasses, estate grown cane and everything. So, if we, like, I think a good place to start is to just zoom out a little bit and talk about what molasses actually is, which sounds like a super basic question, but I, I think most listeners know that it's, you know, it's left over after you make crystallized sugar. They know what it looks like. Maybe they've used it in baking, that sort of stuff. But like, what all actually goes into making it and how does it fit into the larger process of, of sugar production? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, we've kind of gone to extremes, right? Like, <laughs> there's a big difference between like, you know, growing some cane, fresh pressing it, which like we have to do already, but then mm-hmm. we take all these added extra steps, right, to like make the molasses. And it's a huge undertaking. It's a completely different animal and like big vision to Gordon and Worthy Park for investing and in believing in Caribbean sugar, be investing and in believing Caribbean sugar. It's it's the intense way to go. We we all we went all the way. <laughs> so yeah, and 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 I think a lot of people use you know when you talk about cane juice and molasses interchangeably, I think people don't realize that there's so much that happens in between that, right? Like right. we're not we haven't even delved into the whole growing of cane and right how the how yeah. that all yeah. harvesting eighteen but, months in the field yeah. 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 Six you, months or two months exactly. of running a sugar mill before you've ever fermented a drop. Yeah. 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 But even from that that point where it's like, all right, we have cane juice that we can use to the point where that cane juice is further going through the different steps. Like it's it's a ton of work that goes into it. And and the commodity of sugar being seen as a commodity is almost <laughs> so disrespectful to sugar because there's it so is. much that there's so much that goes into it that you know, when, when, when you come to Worthy Park and now when you go to Mount Gay and you see the sugar, like it, it's mind blowing how much more goes in. And I, I'm, again, this is relatively speaking, but how much more goes into sugar production and molasses production than people even think about or can even fathom. I mean, it mm-hmm. still yeah. blows my mind after eight years of working here of seeing yeah. what goes in, what goes into it. And even just the quality of the cane coming in from the field, Mm. like how well have they maintained that field? I know when we went to Worthy Park and I brought my staff, we were blown away at how beautifully kept their fields were. 
I know that we keep really lovely fields, like yeah. some of our neighbors being like, you guys really like baby these, these canes. But, you know, when you harvest it and then you're not bringing in other weeds, other junk, other material, it's just these beautiful canes. Like you're already starting with a base that's going to be night and day from something else. Yeah. So once you press that juice, so Zan, do you mind if I go through like a little bit of sugar making process? Hell yeah, do it. As someone Let's who- do it works in a mill yes i learned <laughs> i originally learned a lot of what i know from zan and some of his presentations that he does where he really opens the curtain behind how a sugar mill works but essentially we're taking the cane we're pressing it to release the juice um mm-hmm. and there's a million variables there how many rollers you have how many mills you have how hard you're pressing what type of materials coming in Mm -hmm. what time in the season is it did it rain recently i can't Mm. even tell you so many things already happening there that juice is then settled so any wax or little bits gets clarified from the clear juice is separated from sort of the stuff that falls to the bottom that stuff that falls to the bottom is incredibly nutrient rich i don't know about you guys but we return it to our fields it's amazing it's like we don't yeah, even we, sell or part with it, yeah. No, we ours go our our we separate it and you have the clear juice and then we call it like the mud muddy water. We call it mud too, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's not mud. It's, but no, we it's call not it mud, mud. Yeah. yeah. So we have a rotary vacuum filter and it's like the okay. final like extraction. And then yeah, all that goes back out as as fertigation in the fields. Exactly. Same here. And then yeah. when you crush the cane, you end up with the leftover fibers from the cane, the bagasse. Right. That is really high value. Like we can't make enough bagasse. People use it for chicken bedding. Do you sell it? You sell it? We don't sell it as of yet, but we want to. And yeah. our local mill, Port Vale, so the big sugar mill on Barbados, they sell it and they're like, oh, we can't make enough. Like people would take more. I didn't yeah. realize that. I always just usually when you when you talk to rum producers who are you know crushing cane or something, you hear of them using it for for fuel a lot right. of times. They just throw yeah. it into the fire. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, if you know grow it, it uses. yeah, if you grow it and then you burn it, it's you know essentially carbon neutral. I think that's right. how they calculate it out as. We don't burn it because we only have such a small amount of sugar cane, which is a big difference between us and Worthy Park. We have a very very small estate. We make very little run from it. So we don't, we wouldn't be able to like power a boiler (laughs) with what we have. So you get the the fresh juice that you've separated into the clear juice. You take that clear juice and you put it into an evaporator. This evaporator is going to use steam to heat it. And essentially it's like simmering in a pot and you're basically Mm -hmm. boiling it down into a richer syrup. For us, when we use that one ton of steam and we're driving the water out to concentrate down the syrup. Sugar cane is mostly sugar cane juice is mostly water. So for the one ton of steam that we use to power it, we reclaim four tons of fresh water wow. uh, out of the sugar cane. And I'm sure Zan and Worthy Park is a very, very super sustainable mill. I'm sure you guys do that as well. So that blew me away about Worthy Park and was a big inspiration for us is like how sustainable it is. There's no waste in that mill. So we get the fresh water back. We've boiled it down into this rich syrup. And then that rich syrup goes to the pans. Now, the pan is a incredible artisanal, skilled, artful process as challenging as distilling. Like any master distiller and a pan boiler, I see them as equals. Like, wow. They're incredible. So what you're doing is essentially you're boiling down this syrup into crystals. There's three ways crystals can be made. The first way, like if you leave your honey out, it crystallizes, right? So you just mm. time. 
The second way is to boil something down and it'll start to crystallize. The third way is to introduce a seed, like a little, little tiny piece of sugar dust that becomes a nucleus. We Mm -hmm. call it seed slurry Mm -hmm. that then the sugar crystal grows. So what we do is you basically take sugar you've made and you grind it down to like a very fine powdered sugar, simplifying this big time. (laughs) And then you mix it with rum or alcohol and you pour it into this boiler that's boiling the syrup down and it creates a little nucleus on which the sugar crystal can grow. Mm -hmm. So as that sugar starts to grow, you're kind of going through these different processes. So there's like a lot of technical terms to it, but essentially you want to boil that syrup to like super saturation, which is this intermediate zone, which essentially when you're touching the boiling down syrup, if you can pull your fingers apart one inch, there will be a little sling, like a little Mm -hmm. dip in the liquid. And if it can get a one inch sling, you're pretty much at that zone. And that's, you know, really where you want to kind of do this practice. And once you get the perfect eye to say, this is ready, you add your sugar slurry. And then you really want to start to grow these crystals. So you want to start creating more and more and more sugar crystals. But then once you hit the level of crystals you want, you want to grow those crystals. So you basically start giving the pan drinks. So little little splashes of water are injected into the pan. And this creates this saturation, which trans like transitions it to this metastable zone. And that's where you're no longer growing new crystals, but you're growing the crystals you already have. Oh. And as the sugar boiler is doing all of this touch, feel, visual Is this one, one person doing all of this? Yeah, essentially standing there. And they have like a sample port they pull out of this sort of boiling pans, we call it, out of the traditional, you know, they used to be the, what would it be? horizontal pans now obviously Mm -hmm. they're stacked vertical so Mm -hmm. it almost looks like a column still Mm -hmm. they're pulling a little sample Mm -hmm. out of it and they're touching it and feeling it to really see like how the crystals are forming what the character is what does it look like they're adding these drinks which are these splashes of water which can help them sort of rebuild crystals the way they want all of this really natural touch is going in and it's amazing to me when there's like a master pan boiler there and they start boiling sugar crystals, they really react to what they're seeing. Mm. And one of the best stories I heard was that back when our sugarcane was sent to Port Vale, so as you may know from our single state release, before we had our own mill, we would have the local sugar mill Port Vale stop, clean everything, and Mm -hmm. then make our sugarcane into molasses. Mm -hmm. One of their pan boilers was like running around showing people the little plate of glass that they smear the crystals on to look at it. And he was like, this is what crystals looked like 30 years ago. Like he was so excited. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's awesome. And that like for me, that was like, yeah, that was like the the good, good feeling when I heard that story. So yeah, so that the crystals really tell you a lot about what is going on. And so essentially – you have this boiling liquid and you have these crystals and that's called massacrete. Okay. And that massacrete, and sometimes you'll hear the word mother liquid, that's like younger massacrete, like fresher massacrete in this boiling process. So mm-hmm. mother liquid or massacrete, that goes to a centrifuge and the centrifuge is spun and it throws the molasses off, which then goes to collection and then you have your crystals. So that is a very brief rushed story of sugar making. <laughs> yeah, that's and for awesome. me, 
For me, there's a lot of, and I'm sure we'll get into this talk about like character and stuff. But if you think about the crystals, like yeah. like processed sugar crystals being relatively flavorless, and you're removing those, think of what you're leaving behind: this concentrated, yeah. rich bouillon of of flavor. And that's bouillon's the a good word. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I love hearing you talk, Maggie. Yeah, it is. It is awesome and fun. I I wanted to quickly follow up with what you were saying there in the process of saying, is there an objective standard for that? Or is it really a subjective art in terms of what you're looking for from the final product? So I think that there's a few things. I mean, it's always going to be what was this year's harvest like, what came into the factory, what what was what's coming in and yeah. what they're reading on the plates is inherently going to change their styles. There's no one way to do it. Mm-hmm. But depending on what your goal is as a sugar producer, that is really going to change what it is you're doing. So we do grade A crystals and we do grade A molasses. So our crystals will be very soft. We'll pull very few crystals out. We leave more sugar behind in the molasses. Whereas if you were trying to, you know, pull out more sugar or um, grow different types of crystals, like a B or a C crystal, and I know Zan can speak more about this, your crystals will be a little bit firmer, uh, a little bit more like they look really pretty. (laughs) They look really good. And they'll be a little bit firmer and a little bit harder. And then the molasses would probably have less sugar in it. And then, of course, because both Zan and I at our, at our mills have control, we can really go slow and careful. There's no right. singeing. There's no burning. There's right. no rush. There's no pressure. The thought about the molasses is front of mind. It's not right. something that goes somewhere else for us. I, I can't remember where I read this, but I feel like I remember reading uh, maybe a year ago or so about the, you were talking about the master pan boilers, you know, studying the crystals, knowing when they're just right and everything. I think I recall reading that there are mills in the US where like they literally they they don't know how to do that. And so they like bring in seasonal workers who are experts at that. And that's what they do. Like they're there to know when the crystals are just right and everything. And it's kind of like this skill that like, you know, 99% of people just don't possess. Hmm. Uh, and it was it's just, a rare, it's a yeah. rare, rare skill. And, you know, with Barbados sugar factories closing, it's become right. very rare here. And so for us, when we were training our really young, really energetic team, a lot of the guys who were coming in to work with us were in their 70s, in their 80s, mm. and really wow. excited to see that this was going to be passed down. Yeah. Because these are skills that could be lost in one generation. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and it's like I yeah, I know it's Zan, like their their mill is really important because Jamaica's had a lot of mills closed too. And so, you know, for us it's keeping this intergenerational skill and know how here and continuing it and passing it down. And I know sugar has a long history. Like don't get me wrong, like we don't want to glamorize the past. And also like the pride that people today feel, you know, in Barbados, an independent republic where you know, Barbados owns its own sugar industry. Like mm. it, they say sugar gets in your blood and there's so much pride on like putting food on people's tables and yeah. you know, contributing to rum, which, you know, is one of the biggest exports. So it's yeah. this big yeah. point of pride that's really important to people, you know, and I think that in honoring and respecting like the, the past and not trying to change the narrative around that, I also want to say that like people today, like they're really proud of like, what they do and, and that connection and, and seeing something at the end of the day in their hand that, mm-hmm. that, that they're really proud of. Yeah. Dan, is there anything you want to correct on my 
for your perspective on how you guys make sugar and because I know you make different grades like you guys have yeah. a ton of diversity of styles which is really cool well, and, and I think one of the, the things to remember too is you know for people listening Mountain Gay's objective in making a mill is completely different than Worthy Park's objective in sugar production so exactly. even though we're we're it process pretty much the same at the end of the day you know we're all we're a sugar we're extracting sugar from cane because uh, as I want to tell you, you know, sugar is is grown in sugar's grown in cane, right? That's not it's not grown in the in the in the factory. But yeah, you know, we have very different objectives where we are still first and foremost a, a sugar producer. So the steps, even though are similar to what Maggie said, and um, I think a couple points, we do use our bagasse for um, we burn it so we create electricity, right? So we use it to create steam and create electricity mm-hmm. and then that steam also flows through and, and heats up the evaporators and the other equipment as well you know there really is a lot of steps of like Maggie said sustainability that happen and re- energy renewal because it's just you know it's just the right production thing to do and everything like Maggie said was cor- was the same as how we do it I, I don't want to say correct because it's obviously right but just how we do it after we have the AMAS secrete because we are you know there's our A sugar is what we sell, and we sell it as commercial grade sugar. Our A molasses, so the big difference is we don't use that for for fermentation of rum. There's still enough residual sugar in that molasses that we send it back to a different vacuum pan, hmm. right? So we have that first vacuum pan that, in the end, you have that A mass secrete <laughs> as Maggie described, and then what now? Then we we send that A molasses to a separate vacuum pan, and that same thing happens where you're we're extracting and growing those sugar crystals that are still there. And at the end of that cycle, now we have bee mass acquit. So now we send that bee mass acquit to a centrifuge, same thing, same process again. And now bee, bee sugar for us is still commercial green sugar. So it's still, do you measure, you measure polar polarization of your, of your thing? 96. Yeah. Pol- all the polarity. Yeah. 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 So ours has oh, I love all the, the sugar shop talk going yeah. back and forth, you know? Well, yeah. truthfully, there's very few people like I can talk to <laughs> yeah. in no, really in the rum industry, because there's very few people that yeah. are do are doing this. So I, you know, me, I love talking with Maggie and she always teaches me so much about my own stuff when I talk to her, which is great. <laughs> you guys um, teach us so much. Yeah. And like, Big shout out for like when Worthy Park hosted six Mount Gay employees as we were building our sugar mill. You guys were so sweet and open door. Like our lab techs spent two days with your lab techs. Our maintenance guys spent days with your maintenance guys. Like it was amazing. You guys helped us out a lot. And like we just, we love to talk shop. So. Yeah. Uh, I feel like if we were in person, we would need a high five right now. <laughs> oh, we'd be, we'd be like, and a box of tissues. We'd be like, I'd be trying and all that fun stuff. Well, yeah. So, so now we have we have bee sugar, bee molasses, and we do it one more time. And we have another vacuum pan, and after that, you have sea massacrete. And now that sea molasses or final molasses or black shop, as as some would yeah. would call it, that is what we then either send to our our distillery uh, for fermentation, or we sell it to the you know Caribbean molasses, or you know whether it's feed companies and, mm-hmm. and bakeries and stuff that will buy it. Hmm. So sea molasses, and then to what Maggie said, that sea sugar now is what we'll melt down. So we'll melt it down and put it, it back into a vacuum pit. So because it's it's too small for us to sell, and we want to, we need to reuse it to kind of keep keep the next uh, cycle of of sugar going. Yeah. So that that in a nutshell is uh, 
a little bit of the differences of 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 where we're what we do with the sugar at our factory. Yeah. And I love and that losses. you said the sugar is in the cane because you're right. And like yeah. this idea that like I, it frustrates me when people talk about molasses as though it's not sugar. And I'm like, molasses is only sugar cane juice. Like it's only it's only made of sugar cane, guys. <laughs> like it's yeah. not made of anything else. And they're like, well, the the sugar's been removed. I'm like, uh, how are we using our language here? You know, like yeah. molasses is just sugar. Yeah, like, people sugar t- people talk about it like it's like toxic industrial sludge sometimes, um, yeah, which is so strange because yeah. it's you know it's really only this modern iteration that this has really existed. And you see old brands market as mm-hmm. you know. I'm gonna give we have the Barbados Jamaica rivalry. I'm gonna <laughs> give a shout out to Barbados molasses being like a marketing term for excellent yeah. molasses. You see it used on molasses from all over the world, not from Barbados. It says Barbados molasses because there is no GI. It's, it's, it's kind of like Demerara yeah. sugar. You see the same thing. Right, right. And so Demerara can be a sugar cane varietal. <laughs> it could mm-hmm. be a style yeah. of yeah. sugar, uh-huh. right? So. This Barbados molasses, and there's you know old historical documents saying they grew sugarcane to make molasses for yeah. its quality. Wow. And this idea of like the modern central factory, we want the crystals, we don't want the molasses. Yeah. I, I think people don't understand that's like a more modern thing, right? Yeah, the whole the whole like by I think too when you when you say byproduct, it just gives the it kind of diminishes the value of whatever that product is. Yeah, it's is not a sexy term. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's just a byproduct. So we, we just, you know, right. use it to right. make rum. And, and I think it's downplayed a lot, especially because if people aren't involved in the making of it, you know, there's no there maybe a reason for them to talk highly or glorify it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it's just like, Oh, it's just a byproduct. Cause it, yeah. there, you know, let's diminish the importance of it because, we're trying to treat it as this product that is interchangeable no matter where we get it from. Well, like right? everyone's yeah. everyone's trying to like differentiate their product, right? And so I think sometimes some brands will choose to like differentiate by talking about how bad the other stuff is, you know, and that Yeah. Of yeah. course. Yeah. I, I think mm. we I mean, something's coming to mind there, but um <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for me it's like exactly. It's it's if you don't like I hear people say a lot, and I know we might get into this later, that like sugar cane molasses doesn't have any terroir. And I'm like, who, how many single origin molasses have you blind tasted? Because <laughs> right. I've done yeah. it a lot, a yeah. lot more yeah. than the average bear. And believe you me, when you taste Worthy Park Blackstrap against a bulk commodity Blackstrap, mm-hmm. you blind tasting every time you would tell the difference. Mm. To me, like I wouldn't even be able to blind tasting identify it as Blackstrap. It's so flavorful. It's so concentrated. Like, and this idea that all blackstrap is whatever, like, no, you don't even know because the central factories, like, that's all most people have tasted. Most people haven't tasted a lot of these single origin expressions or even from, you know, the same mill, different places. And so I think that there's a lot of bias there. And, and like Zan said, a lot of, like, dismissing of sugar. It's less than molasses isn't as important. Mm-hmm. You know, we roast coffee. But everyone respects single origin coffee. Right. Yeah. Release, yeah. Releasing flavors, creating aromatic precursors through the Mai mm-hmm. artifact. Mm-hmm. I absolutely believe that, you know, for us, we use molasses for a reason. We did not spend all that money and time and energy and training and laborious <laughs> madness going from <laughs> fresh juice to molasses for no reason. Like that cooking, that concentration, that unlocking of aromatic precursors. 
you know, I joke that molasses is terroir concentrate because as yeah. you remove those neutral sugar crystals, you're exactly. leaving behind right. that character. Right. And then fermentation only unlocks more diversity of flavor and distillation only concentrates the flavors oh. that are already there. So uh, I love you, you Maggie Campbell. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Zan. <laughs> yeah, but I, yeah and, I, and I think too, it's like I, when people grow up and then you think of, you know, molasses that you buy in a store off the shelf correct me if i'm wrong but don't a lot of these molasses add back sugar because the molasses has had so little sugar content to it like before they even sell it on the shelf right so it's like i think people's framework and understanding of what molasses should taste like is is probably just distorted and not even accurate either yeah and then you think about salt we all grew up with the box the one box of salt in our house yeah salt is chemically the same between all of our different salts. <laughs> and let me tell you how many salts I have in my house. Same here. One for baking, one for tenderizing, yes. right? Yeah. We yeah. all know this for salt, but why don't yeah. we get that same respect to sugar? It, it really blows my mind. Yeah, I, I, feel, I feel like we should do a, a blind molasses tasting on, on the show sometime, John. That would be fun because I've, well, I've never, do it. I've never done that. You know, that would be super interesting. I do like there were a lot of descriptors in there: grade A, grade B, blackstrap. I C think Massaquite. Yeah, right? yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're throwing Massaquite. people in the deep end. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm learning in real time right now. It's great. But I, I feel like I see those terms get thrown around a lot, especially I know a lot of craft distilleries here in the U.S. will be like, oh, we use, you know, grade A molasses. But when I talk to distillers, a lot of times what I hear from them is like, oh, there's not really like a standard definition for what that means. That can mean different things. So I, I guess what I want to know is just how do all these different grades ultimately affect the end product of rum like where does that come into play and it, it sounds like the grades are somewhat determined by the level of fermentable sugars in the molasses maybe that may be an oversimplification so feel free to correct me but just when people hear okay at mount gay we're using grade a molasses at worthy park it, it's the essentially the grade c is that right Dan? i mean we just call it c molasses or final c, molasses okay c molasses so fine I, molasses. like i i i think you're right though will i think it's who i don't know what the definitions are between the grades and i think it's almost like certified organic these days right like mm -hmm. what does that mean depending on the market you're in yeah and just because something is called grade a or sold as grade a in you know the states i don't know if there's a direct relation between right how we do molasses in jamaica versus fiji or mexico or belize and mm -hmm. i don't know correct me if i'm wrong maggie but so uh, you're fortunate yeah. that you do everything in-house but yeah. as someone who, you know, at Mount Gay, we receive molasses from other places as well. So we have three streams of molasses at Mount Gay. We have the molasses we import from the Caribbean. It's 100% Bon Sucro certified because we are getting it from a third party, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. Mm -hmm. There is all the molasses we get from Barbados. So this is sugarcane that's processed at Port Vale, the main sugar factory in Barbados, and they sell their excess molasses. To distillers, there's a really interesting story going on there about is the sugar more valuable or is the molasses more valuable, which I'm mm. sure we'll talk about as well. Yeah. We talk about how molasses is changing in quality yeah. over the decades. Yeah. And then um, and then there's Mount Gay's own molasses, right? So those are our three sources. So when we get a source from outside, we're going to get a certificate of analysis that's going to tell us what are the bricks what are the inverted sugars? What mm -hmm. is the sulfur? What is the ash? Ash is an important one. 
And we're going to look at all these different things. And we have sort of an idea of where we want to be. Now, the FDA guide from the 1950s on what grades of molasses there are is generally considered an industry standard because so much bulk molasses, commodity molasses is brokered on that system. Okay. So for me, when we were commissioning our mill, we wanted grade A molasses. And so here I am taking laboratory analysis and samples and confirming that we are making grade A molasses, which we're very proud of. So for us, it's the ash content, the sulfur content, all sorts of things that you're looking at. But that's sort of the essential one. That's like a generalization. Obviously, what Zan's saying is true. If you go to India or China or somewhere else, like it's really about getting that certificate of analysis Mm -hmm. and you having your standard of what you accept and what is in your style capacity and working with it that way. So because we get all of ours regionally, we're very lucky. It's very understood what our styles are. And all of us are bond sucro certified. So we're getting from like a smaller group who's a little bit more focused on, you know, quality of like worker health and sustainability, et cetera. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So for us, it's we're kind of getting from a selective area of people we know pretty well. Do, so, does Barbados bulk buy or molasses like as, as the distilleries? Or is it all I'm separate? the est- I'm the estate rum manager. No, <laughs> 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 so when it comes to those types of specific questions, I'd have to defer, defer. or maybe invite someone else to be on a podcast. Heard, 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 Thank heard. You. Okay, okay. No, I didn't know because <laughs> so, you know, in Jamaica, it's just it's all by Caribbean molasses, right? Right, right. So yeah, it's all I, yeah. I have like a certain working knowledge, but I'll admit I'm also a little naive in that my head is often in a cane field at. Okay. So <laughs> heard well, That's, well said, well said, <laughs> but yeah, so those are the, and then high test molasses is the last thing I want to mention, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. essentially a really concentrated sugar syrup. For me, it doesn't give those classic molasses flavors. It's very different, but high test molasses is different than grade a. I think people can confuse those. Two. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Cause, cause I know I've talked to Roberto Sarayes about high test molasses and how they use yeah. that for Don Q. And I, I think they blend that with also, you know, I don't know what grade it is, but I'm assuming. Yeah, so he's yeah. very he's very open and freely sharing, and I love and respect that. So I'll quote him for uh-huh. himself that, yes, they grade the high test with, uh, I believe it's Blackstrap. Yes, yeah. So, yeah. okay, so people, you know, people who are rum fans, they hear this distillery uses grade A, this one uses grade C or final molasses. H- how does that actually, ch- like, change what you do during or does it change what you do during production and like how does that express itself to you in the rum at at the end like are there are there certain this may be an oversimplification but are are there certain rums where you can taste them and be like this was definitely grade c molasses so hallmarks maybe yeah yeah they're like yeah hallmarks of of grades of molasses expressing themselves in rum no i think again we're a little i guess simple over here because we're only working with Worthy Park Molasses. So we, year year over year, we have a, a level of consistency to everything that you're saying in terms of the bricks, the ash, you know, all the different sugar content and, and sucrose and whatnot. We have a very consistent level that we're working with. So it makes it easier, I think, for our distillery team to kind of go into... Me- I, I think the consistency is where the big difference is. And again, I'm not a distiller, I'm not a chemist, but I'm just talking from from what we're doing over here. It gives us a level of consistency year over year 
knowing that we're working with the same molasses and quality wise, we know what we're going to be working with. Cause I know there's been other, there's been challenges with distilleries if they get molasses with really high ash content yeah. and what they, how, you know, the condition that leaves their fermentation tanks and afterwards. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I don't, again, I'd probably defer to Maggie again on this one, but I, I don't know if there's any discern, like what the differences are on the end result. I think there's going to be a lot of differences in the production side of it, it depending the on the process. Yeah. 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 The process well, of, of how you, how you get to that end product, right? Cause your goal is <laughs> right. consistency. Right. I was yeah. going to say, because you're aiming for consistency there in the first place, you're kind of already narrowing your field. Right. Exactly. To get that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I love to blind taste. I love to taste things. And I love to use my wine tasting skills. So, you know, I can only speak for my own palate, but you know, I think there's a certain number of rums on the market that, you know, are kind of that classic, you know, final molasses grade C style. I get a lot of like rich back palate notes. Hmm. I've definitely had grade B rums. I find them really interesting. I've also had rums where they blend the different molasses types and I think they are really unique and different. Hmm. But as you know, most of my experience is in grade A. I, mm-hmm. I love grade A. I remember when grade A was like, what are you people doing? It's, it's wild. And now it's <laughs> exciting to see a little more grade A out in the world. To me, grade A gives a lot of like more top notes. Like it's very immediate on the, the nose. The perfume is very vibrant. And I definitely get like specific fruity notes. And for me, and this might just be me. I get a, like the cane character is like, it's mm. a little different in its expression. And so for me, I, I find that really exciting about the grade A. But, you know, I don't want to speak for other producers and their styles. Just, you know, the molasses I've played around with and the things I've tasted. Those are kind of things I notice. But I think that also like the, we call it focus in wine, right? So like you start with like the state of California and then you focus into Napa and then you focus into a specific mountain and then maybe a specific vineyard. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things I'm really noticing with a lot of these different, you know, rums, especially something like Worthy Park or our Mount Gay Single Estate is it has an intensity of focus that I think is really unique. I tasted it in wine a number of times. Like I, it really struck me the, the first time I had Something like that, because as you know, a, a lot of molasses-based rum doesn't have that necessarily same kind of level of focus. So for me, that was something that was really special. Yeah. Do, no, you, do you think that? Do you think the distillation, like the style of distillation, would impact that as well, Maggie? Like, would it would enhance it, the type of molasses you're using? Yeah, I mean, of and, course. And like, there's going to be like there's going to be layers of flavors from your raw materials, yeah. right? Let's go WSUT. <laughs> there's layers of flavor from your raw materials. The flavors can be added to through fermentation, yeah. and then you know, really focused into and shaped by distillation, and yeah. then flavors of aging on top, right? And maturity, different things, right? The flavor of maturity and the flavor of oak are different things. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I definitely you know think that there's a real excitement about what types of stills you use. It will change the character. It'll focus in on different character. You'll see on our website, the Mount Gay Single Estate is pot stilled and we use the traditional retort double pot distillation. That's what Trudy uh, you know, was really striving for in this to really let that richness come through. Beautiful. Yeah. You, you referred earlier, you mentioned 
the idea of having a sugar mill for the purpose of making molasses, which is not the approach that I would assume the vast majority of sugar mill, modern sugar mills out there take. And there's kind of this ongoing storyline in rum today, if you're super nerdy about rum, uh, just about the quality and availability of molasses and how variable it can be. And I know producers are having to like go to, you know, sometimes change their source, get it from different places and things. And so I kind of what I, what I wanted to ask is just how big of a concern or challenge is that variability in molasses for rum producers truly? Is it because sometimes I hear about this and as a rum consumer, I get a little worried. Like I'm like, yeah. is there going to be enough <laughs> yeah. good molasses left in the world to keep making awesome rum? Or what is, is everyone going to have to make their own mill? Because I, I assume not every <laughs> distillery uh, has the capacity to do that. So what's the temperature on that? Am I freaking out too much or, so, or is it a big deal or not enough? I'll just, bri- I'll just briefly give some context and then let Zan run away with it. But I think what you're asking about is as the demand for crystallized sugar grows, the more heavily refined yes. some blackstrap molasses may be. Yes. Right. And as that leaving sugar in the molasses becomes more of a detriment to sugar producers, the price for molasses can go up while the quality goes down. Right. That's been a discussion in our industry in general that's been going on. So that's I'm just framing the context. That's a great Zan way of saying it. Someone who brings in <laughs> Zan who brings in no molasses from the outside. Do you have any thoughts? No, <laughs> you don't I, have I, to buy molasses on the market, right? No, so. but again, if if we, you know, if we grow like right now we use maybe 40, under 50% of the molasses we we make we use for here, but Again, our projections and where we want rum to grow in the future, you know, will we get to a point where we are using 100% of the masses we produce? Possibly. You know, is there a point where, based on the politics of, of sugar and commerce in Jamaica, that we lose protection and, and you know, all of a sudden all this cheap sugar is going to come flooding into Jamaica and we have to reevaluate our own production? Possibly. So I think we're, you know, keep an eye on it. But I think it's also why, you know, we started working a little bit more with cane juice now, right? To to see how that works for us in the future. But just to give context, you know, for Jamaica overall, you know, where all, all the distilleries on the island are using about roughly 120,000 tons um, of molasses a year. Just, uh, you know, again, this is very average, very, you sure. know, it's going to change year over year. But we as an island need to bring in about a hundred thousand tons of molasses a year. So, and, and we're, you know, we're Jamaica where I don't, you know, in, in the scale of, of rum producing countries, we're still probably one of the smaller ones. Like when you talk about some of the central and Latin America places. So right. yeah, I, I think there, I think there's a general concern over adapting to the quality of molasses that is becoming available year over year. And I think Maggie and I have talked about this before the, the quality of sugar extraction and it is getting better in, in a lot of the bigger factories throughout throughout the world. And yeah, I, I, I think it's going to be a challenge. I don't think, Will, you need to go out and, and buy, you know, millions of liters of <laughs> No rum panic and, buying. And, yeah, we don't yeah, want to set yeah. off a panic right now. Just buckets of Crosby molasses <laughs> yeah, stacked yeah. up in your garage. Yeah. <laughs> well, this could be a strategy. Yeah, if I if I own it all, then everyone has to come to me to get it, right? Yeah. Right. yeah. Just corner the market. Right? I'll be like, well, I can make five bottles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
But yeah. uh, no, I, I think we're, we're all aware of, of and paying attention to it. Something hmm. that's been happening in Barbados. So talk about a small country, right? We do not have enough land to even have all the sugar cane to make all of our molasses. And, you know, the scotch industry brings in grains from outside. Yeah. You know, this is not an uncommon thing, right, to bring in your raw mm-hmm. material. In fact, the art, the founding of distillation was to take these staples and bring them and trade them and, and then distill them, right? So mm-hmm. this is not an unheard of thing. So we do bring in a certain amount of molasses. We're... As someone who partners with Bon Sucro, we're working with a lot of producers who know and understand that we are seeking out the certification because, you know, we are like this rum brand. And so I think there's a certain sensitivity and awareness that's, you know, on a higher level, which is good. But something that's been happening in Barbados, interestingly enough, is that as the sugar crystal market is so competitive, right, you do all of this work. It is an intense labor of love, and mm. hard work. And you make this bag of sugar that you can sell for a few dollars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you make this molasses that you can turn into a bottle of rum, that becomes a very different story. So a lot of our sugar industry has seen that us local rum distillers really want the molasses and we want more sugar in the molasses and we want grade A molasses, you know. And I really, really give a nod to Trudy, who went to Port Vale eight years ago and was like, hey, we want grade A molasses to this place whose whole focus has been, you know, sugar crystals. And then them seeing this opportunity that we'll we'll pay a premium because we can turn it into rum, which is a different proposition to the market than a bag mm-hmm. of sugar. And so there's been a newfound emphasis on making molasses, which, you know, has the potential to be more profitable than maybe the sugar crystals. So it's really interesting to see this sort of change going on and a perspective shift. And, you know, I think we're lucky from where we source from that we're sort of in a slightly different situation than a lot of places. Yeah, no, I I think it'll be really interesting to watch. And I mean, hopefully rum just, you know, becomes such a thing that the entire sugar industry must uh, shift its goals to making better molasses to supply the rum industry. That would be great. <laughs> you yeah. can, you can start lobbying for that. Well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get that going. Yeah. So I, I think we've, we've covered a lot of molasses and I wanted to ask a little bit about cane juice also. So Stan, we'll start with you. We, we know that Worthy Park also uses cane juice in addition to molasses there. So I was hoping you could walk us through a little bit about Worthy Park's philosophy when it comes to using multiple sugarcane byproducts in production. And how does that kind of come together? There's that pesky word byproducts again. I know, I know, John. <laughs> naughty, naughty. I think I'm um, the one who wrote it, who, who, who used technically that. Technically so, speaking, no, yeah, yeah, you, you blame it on me. He set me up. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> no I, 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 yeah, I think I kind of alluded to 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 it a little bit before, where a lot a lot has happened in the past five years, in the past ten years, in, in the rum industry and in, in the sugar industry, and I think it we see a lot of cane juice rums being made, but not not in Jamaica, but rum made from cane juice, obviously the, across the Caribbean, and we have you know here what. 10,000 acres of land, you know, 4,000 acres of, of cane juice. I'm sorry, of cane growing. You know, we have about eight other farms that we are growing, that we started planting cane and growing cane at. So long term, you know, what does rum production look like at Worthy Park? Is our reliance on only making molasses rum going to be a hindrance in the future? 
I mean, mm-hmm. like I said, we, we don't really know where it's going. So, you know, the first step was say not having done it in the past 18 years that we've been distilling. It started with, let's try it out and, and see what happens. And that was in 2020 and we did it. And, and again, I'm very much simplifying everything. It wasn't just like, oh yeah, let's pour yeah. some tea. <laughs> Why don't we try this? Yeah. Yeah. yeah let's, let's just go for it. Yeah. But you know, it, it was very much where we have it, we have access to it. Let's see what we can do now. Again, key to point out, we're not isolating any specific cave varietal. We're not growing fields specifically for rum production. We're very much taking cane juice that's being crushed at our, our sugar factory and, and bringing it down to the distillery for fermentation. So we haven't, we're not at a point where, because the question has come up a lot where we're saying, all right, we're making cane juice from our rum from this specific type of cane juice because we are, you know, growing fields of this for that. We are still very much focused on on making as much sugar and molasses mm-hmm. as we can. And because we have access to to fresh cane juice, are going to mm-hmm. start to take advantage and seeing how we can we can, I guess, diversify ourselves and our innov- innovate, diversify, whatever you know, catchy buzzword you want to <laughs> use. But you know, we want to so dynamic. I know. Dynamic. <laughs> yeah, head 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 head. I don't have all that. Wonderful, you know, corporate training of what what words to use. You always struck um, me as a really corporate guy. That's surprising. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Looks can be deceiving as well, but <laughs> but no, and I, and I think that was it. And and it, I don't know how much of a percentage wise, you know, Cajun right. rum is going to be of of Worthy Park because right now we're still very much a molasses based uh, rum producer. But I think you will start to see us doing more with it. As, as the future grows. So that, that probably didn't answer your question at all. You just heard me blab on for three minutes about nothing. That's going to be edited down. I think your time. method of like, you know, we take what we take from the mill is very true to like what you read in right. the historical record. I think that's really cool. Yeah. No, I, I just think it's, it's an exciting time in rum right now in respect of you see more producers that are, that maybe historically have just done one thing which doing one thing is great. I'm not hating on that at all. I think it's great if you're if you just do cane juice or you just do molasses, that's awesome, but seeing some producers now give themselves, you know, some optionality in what they can do. It's not just about making a cane juice from or molasses from. It's about how can we take all these different stages of sugarcane and have different distillates to work with. I mean, we're already so familiar with the concept of blending in rum whether it's, you know, blending marks or blending just barrels that are the same right. thing and all, all yeah. that stuff and the the beauty that can be in a blend but seeing it across different types of sugarcane distillates is is cool and, you know we've talked about it with with Richard before they're doing some of that at Foursquare we just talked to all all the way across the world Isadier in Reunion which they've been doing molasses and and juice for a long time but being able to do different blends there so i just think as, as we see more producers kind of embracing growing some cane having that available it's exciting to think of the possibilities that are out there and Mag- maggie i did want to ask you you know you have the estate program there at mount k now you have the access to the sugar cane is there any, do you think there could be anything in the future where it's like, you know, maybe blending in, doing some some juice fermentations and distillations or or maybe even syrup or, or you know, anything or, or maybe even getting as wild as grade B molasses? I don't know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> getting wild? Yeah, I know. I, you know, um, I don't want to get too I, carried away, but. Yeah. I mean, I, 
I love molasses. And honestly, being part of the crew who built this mill from the ground up, watching it really like come to life and, and seeing that transformation and that character and that flavor development and like I've really just fallen in love with molasses. So I know molasses is my boo. And I think that in the modern history of Mount Gay, it's been very molasses focused. And so I think it's very true to our house style. So that's where my heart is today. I think you could sell molasses is my boo t-shirts, by the way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Maybe at the, For the Halloween mount, the, right now with the little sheet ghost, you know, that would be great too. Sorry. <laughs> like the, the, the Mount Gay gift shop, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. There's, there's an idea there. Yeah. But yeah. I've just, I've really fallen in love with it. It's like, you know, our pan boiler on his first day, he said, sugar will get in your blood. And he was right. Now I'm like, it's such a magical amazing thing yeah. and we dismiss it so easily so for me I'm, I'm still very much caught up in my love affair with molasses to think about any other potentials <laughs> understandable I, I a, yeah i have a quick geeky question to ask and and this is with regards to the yield for rum production from cane juice versus molasses so my brain says and i could be totally wrong here that cane juice you would be able to produce more rum per acre then you That's would be what able my to... gut would say, but I don't know because I've never okay. worked with yeah. cane juice, so I wouldn't want to speak out of turn. And then I'm mm. also sure it depends on the varietals you use, if it's a high sugar yielding varietal right, or a lower. Because right. yeah. I know in Martinique they're pretty specific about that. I don't know, Zan, do you feel no, open mean... to sharing anything? Or if you're like, I'm not open to sharing that right now, <laughs> I respect that. No, I actually don't. I'd have to, I've never compared the two or, or thought to, to break it down. I mean, we obviously calculate a lot on, in terms of how much what our molasses usage yields are and then I can walk you know kind of back track that to yeah. how much how much uh, molasses we're getting per acre but yeah I wouldn't not off the top of my head but now, now we're, my, yeah because we're removing sugar as part of the molasses making process I would assume right. less fermentable That's sugar per acre right. but, yeah. but right. I don't want to like say something out of turn because yeah, I don't yeah. have the actual technical experience, but that would be like my gut read. Yeah. yeah. And, and to the earlier point uh, made about like just taking what there is and using that rather than trying to science the crud out of it or over-engineer it, I think that's important too. But yeah, it just was a, a curious question, especially Maggie, okay. for you, you have a small plot, right? So, Ooh. you know, it's, it's managing <laughs> well, and ours that. And is small, right? So it's 320 acres of which we farm about 190. Mm -hmm. And that is still like, so Barbados has small estates for the Caribbean and we're a small estate for Barbados. But also when you compare this to some distilleries like Display Fields, it's a huge undertaking. Like, I mean, 100, it, like that's a lot of acreage, right? Like if it, you're it's, just, it's not small, just, but it no, is it, small. It is yeah. real. It makes a few thousand liters of alcohol, period. But yeah. yeah, it's not small. What are you gonna say, Zan? If you no, but I mean, if you if you stand in 190 acres of like of of cane field, right? It could be 500. You know, it could be a thousand. Like that is a big. Right. That's still big. It's uh, very different than like an exploration field or like yeah. a display field. It's very, it's a very different undertaking. I mean, right. big machinery, amazing crew. Yeah, and you still have to practice crop rotation within that area, right? So that's how you. That's yeah. why the numbers. So we right. have a we have a bunch of CSR initiatives on our sugarcane estate, but biodiversity hotspots, 
bees, mahogany rehabilitation groves, oh, food forests. Uh, yeah. Yes. So we have a lot going on on our estate, but then also, yes, the crop rotation because we are. What are you rotating with? So we do a lot of regenerative practices. So using a lot of C3, C4 crops. So sweet potato, traditional yams, all sorts of different pigeon peas to add nitrogen mm. back to the soil. Whoa. Um, the watermelon is my favorite. It's watermelon season right now. And you eat a piece of this watermelon and it will stain your fingertips red. Oh, it's wow. Mount nice. Gay Estate watermelon is <laughs> Where it is at, it is incredible. Like you should see the staff line up for the employees farmers market, which is where we sell a lot of this produce. Uh, we also donate some to local services. We do some food security initiatives for local villages. But yeah, the employee line for watermelon this year was was serious. So, is that yeah. where Harry Styles wrote the song? Oh, now I get it. <laughs> yeah. Same. Will's like, what song are you talking about? <laughs> watermelon, watermelon sugar. Okay, there we go. Sugar, high. All right, keep going. <laughs> Thank you, I don't know Brian. if we can get the licensing for that. <laughs> oh, good point. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe next up, Mount Gay Estate watermelon flavored rum. I don't know. That could be. Oh, a, I don't know. <laughs> Interesting. I, I like to keep the watermelon separate. Yes. You know, yeah. a, a lovely like fish cutter, some watermelon, some rum. Oh. Right. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Man, we need to we need to do another another visit. Another and, well, we need to come and visit you. Is what needs to happen. Yeah. Oh. Well, I just would love just that. you know, don't forget our phone yes, numbers when open. you when you set that up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Ma Ma Maggie, you've mentioned Bon Sucro a few times, and I wanted yeah. to tease a, a stupid corporate work terminology. Circle back to that. Um, <laughs> we've we've had a number of people, you know, write in over the years with questions about rum supply chain ethics, things like, you know, is there a way to know if a brand is using molasses that came from mills or, and, you know, before that farms that treat their workers ethically, follow responsible environmental practices, all that sort of thing. And to me, that's just it's it's something I'm curious about, too, but it seems like such a huge, vast industry to try to get a handle on and there's so much molasses going coming from so many different places a lot of it seems kind of opaque to me do you like what are the recommendations you have for navigating that as a consumer are, you mentioned Monsucro. i'm assuming that's a certification like what does that signify what can people kind of look for yeah and i, I think this is true i don't want to get into any what about isms but i think it's just true of all spirits production when you're making whiskey, grains are coming in from all over. When you're making gin, spices, and mm, the spice trade yeah. is something to be aware of, is coming in from all over. So I don't think we're alone in this. I think that for us, as someone who sources sugar cane from the local region, because we're getting it from an outside party, Bon Sucro has been really meaningful for us. It is definitely laborious. It requires a lot of work, a lot of documentation. It took a really dedicated team of incredible people at Mount Gay to bring that forward over many years of work. It's pretty serious stuff. And it guarantees a certain amount of environmental practices as well as worker comforts. And for us, that's been really important to make sure there's a, a healthy level of worker care, environmental care, as someone who brings in molasses from the outside. On our estate, we have these amazing mobile units. So out in the fields, they have our, you know, workers who are working have kitchenettes with solar panels, private bathrooms, multiple private bathrooms. It's like this big kind of almost mobile home situation for them so that they have these things as well. So and we obviously 
You know, we have gender pay parity on our agricultural team and all sorts of things in-house ourselves. But for what we bring in, we do do the bond sucro. I think when you're someone like Worthy Park, you know, you have total control over the whole thing. And I think even in the first presentations I ever saw Zan give, the coverage of their programs that they have internally, because they do have total control over that and can communicate it themselves really authentically is very cool. And as someone who visited them and saw these programs at work, I think it's really cool. So, you know, previously I've used other certification programs and, and definitely at Mount Gay, Bonsucro was a big investment and absolutely worth it for us as for those sugars that we bring in. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. Uh, yeah. It's the chain of custody to make sure that, yeah, everything is documented mm-hmm. and certified and checked and audited. Is It's a lot. Yeah. And then I, I think, well, I think it's a very, when people ask you that, it's such a nuanced question because I don't think there's, you know, there's one answer or there's one resource or there's one way right. to, to really look at it and, and, yeah, I think for us here, we're governed by so many different laws and rules and regulations in Jamaica. Where, in ter- if you look at you know our environmental agency, NEPA is a huge, 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 and influential agency here in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. Where we're <laughs> we have we have NEPA here for everything. They look over effluents in the air, you know, liquid water effluents, everything. You know, from our water source coming in to the water going out of our sugar factory to, you know, the dunder that we're using as fertigation to the quality of, of what's coming out of the factory in the air. You know, I think there's a lot of, of regulations in Jamaica that we abide by and we follow. Um, again, none of them are global because we're, we're, we're an island nation. So, you know, we, we follow just to operate here. There's a lot that we have right. to follow. Every and I think country's the, gonna handle it differently. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I think from the worker side too, I think what a lot of people don't realize in Jamaica is we're you know, we're very unionized as a as a country. Like we have and here just at Worthy Park, there's basically three major unions in in the sugar industry. And we every two years we have to do union negotiations. Mm. Um so there's there's a very they're very prominent here and it's yeah. not sh- shrugged off and the relationship and the negotiation is, you know, is taken seriously and, and irrespective of that too, we're, you know, we're a very much a, a community employer here at Worthy Park. Where we're located is very typical of a lot of the old estates and factories where you're in the country, right? And, and a lot of, a lot of the economy around the area was built around estates and factories that were there. And we, you know, that model is, is very much in play today where the little town where we're located, Luitisvale, you know, there's about 3000 people give or take in, in the town. And so much of the town and the areas is really supported by directly or indirect directly by, you know, Worthy Park and, and we're not perfect. No, yeah, I don't think any company is, but we try our best to, make sure that, you know, our people are here are well taken care of. We do what we can for the community. Um, even everything from like the basic school and all age school to, you know, the police station in town to just generally, you know, the people who are, who are working with us, we, we, you know, we try our best to do what we can to support and, 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 and help out where we can. 
and and I think it's it's hard to like none of that falls under necessarily any kind of certification where you know I can point to and say hey look we have this you know XYZ certification that says we that that covers all this stuff but we're trying our hardest to communicate that and, and share what what goes on in Worthy Park but for us it's a little more difficult where we don't have this kind of catch-all be-all certification that we can you know hang on the wall and say yeah. oh point to and say hey look this is what we do but you know to to be here and experience it is is different and yeah i think it's, it's just like the the aqueduct that comes to worthy park and i'm, I'm just kind of rambling all, all over the place now as, as the thoughts come to my head right but like the aqueduct that that water to worthy park is still when it was built in the 1700s was you know the first water supply to come into the valley right? oh, wow. and it's still it's still in operation it's still owned by worthy park but it's still also very much brings water to the community, right? Where we don't have city water up here where we're located, right? So we don't, you know, there's a lot of, of that support and, and you know, we'll you know, have our water truck help out with, you know, the police or whatever it needs to be done in the community. And even on, on the Worthy Park property as well, right? Like we have a lot of housing, a lot of people that live on the estate. So we're very much, you know, we have generations of, of people that work here and, it's like it's family at Worthy Park in terms of like you have somebody who works in the main office and their their spouse works at the distillery and and their yeah. father works in the fields and their grandfather worked at the factory and you know so it's hard to to really you know point at one thing to say this is what we're doing but yeah. there's a lot of it that happens and and my last my last antidote here you know I got I got pulled over by a spot check by the police in, in Ocherius which is. Yeah, about an hour and a bit away from her, you know, and the, the guy pulled me over and looked at my documents and he's like, Worthy Park. I'm like, yeah. He's like, I grew up there. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah. So he described, he was, a, he was one of the senior police officers and he told me exactly where he lived on the property, who from his family still works at Worthy Park, who lives in the widest Vale that he knows still and yeah, when he comes down here, and he up to knew my dog, you know. He's wow. like, oh, you have, wow. he's like you have, he's like you have the big, the big brown dog, and I'm like, yeah, that's that's, that's the dog. So, you know, I see all that to, you know, just kind of emphasize that you know there's there's a level of community in in a lot of these in a lot of these areas, rural areas on the islands that it's very hard to describe if you if you've never experienced it but yeah. you know i think yeah especially maggie can probably tell you moving to the islands like it it's 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 different when you're down here and there's a level of natural care that happens whereas we're yes we're we're a distillery or sugar estate but i think we off off get painted as somebody as the big evil companies do in north america where you know there's such a disconnect between management and employees where you just don't yeah. have that here yeah. it's mm -hmm. completely different here Zana's right yeah. it's completely different and that that level of interpersonal care and like recognition and just check-in and you know it, you, you can't act too wild because there's nowhere to go right they know so. your dog yeah yeah, when you're yeah. when you're a local, you know, community-based business, the relationship is very different. And mm, for us yeah. to assume and 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 take our own projections of the cultures we're from and put it over that isn't 
it's just very different. And so sometimes these outside systems don't always fit what's yeah. what's going on. Yeah. Did sometimes you, those outside systems say they, oh, we're all family here and <laughs> all this community atmosphere, but it's really just the story, right? Yeah. 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 Did yeah. you pass the spot check, by the way, Zan? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Spot yeah. check. Hmm. Spot oh, check. Make it sure was you go a, the speed limit, Zan. Yeah, it's a vehicle <laughs> documentation check. But it no, I, and I, I think it's it's very much like, and I see when people come, like working in the hotel industry in Jamaica for donkey years before I started in the rum, you know, I, I, I think the old adage of, of, you know, you have to really understand where you're traveling to when you go there to understand it. And I think it 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 it's applicable to everything from agriculture to just general business, right? Like, you know, the way that you view if you live in North America and your lens that you view a certain industry through, you know, it, it has to be it can't be the same lens that you view that industry through in a different country. Right. Because right. everything is different, right? And yeah. you know, we talk about even like minimum wage, like if you dollar for dollar what minimum wage in Jamaica versus minimum wage discussion in, in America is is very drastically drastically different. Like you'd probably be appalled if I told you what minimum wage was here in Jamaica. But you know, when you're like at Mount Gay and you're buying agriculture from farmers, directly from mm-hmm. farmers, versus it being shipped, you know, across the country in a refrigerated truck and you know, you're eating tropical fruits in the Northeast in December, like, you know, there's just different ways you gotta gotta look at everything and I think it's very hard sometimes, especially, and, and I say that growing up in Canada, Americans to see things outside of a North American lens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, I'm it's, still it's, learning every day. Still yeah. learning every day, and yeah. it's it's changed for me even from the first year I was here to the second year I was here. I get a lot more darlings, a lot more babies now, and I I feel very loved. Like they they see me as like you know like a, the woman at the gas station calls me baby she like sees me as much more local whereas in yeah. north america i would be like how dare you call me baby <laughs> yeah. Here yeah. i'm like i'm like it's gonna be a good day <laughs> yeah that's great yeah. no definitely an important perspective to keep in mind um i know we've kept y'all for a while before we wrap up just zooming out is there anything we didn't cover about sugar, molasses, rum that you think is important for people to know? Is there anything that you expect to change dramatically over the next, you know, decade or so? Something different, trends to look out for? Anything to add? Oh, man, I'll I'll let Maggie finish because I feel like Maggie always puts everything so eloquently. But I, I, I really do feel like, to Will's point that you said earlier, like, you know, pay attention to you know, or ask the question, I should say, like, where, where's the raw material coming from? Mm-hmm. Right. And I think before you, I think before you even ask for, you know, what certifications or what certifications you have or who, what are you looking for you buy? You know, you, you can tell a lot from, from people's answers and just in terms of asking them where, you know, Hey, where are you getting your stuff from? And uh, the type of answers they'll give you in that regard. But, you know, I think under learning more about Sugar and molasses is really awesome. And I will, I'm going to put it on record that I would love to speak more with Maggie in, the, in real life, in the real world, to do more of these sugar and molasses discussions. Because yeah, event organizers who are listening, you know, who to contact. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not going to say Maggie and I did a deep dive at conference in Boston like five years ago, but it was. I was just remembering that. Zan and I did this huge deep dive. He brought every type of sugar they made at the mill. And molasses. 
we were way ahead of the curves in. <laughs> yeah, I know. Single origin molasses because that was like the journey I was at the time. Like trying to even find a single origin molasses was such a challenge back then. Mm. Yeah, um, we should do it is. again. Though. We should. We, <laughs> we should, should. We should do it. We should do it again. Maybe maybe the world needs to see a little series by us and yeah, taste some molasses side by side. Who knows? Well, speaking of collaboration, I can't let you all leave before I ask this question. So there happens to be a very successful rum on the market right now that is a Barbados-Jamaica combination. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, seeing that that is so successful, that one, is there, is there any possibility that there might be <laughs> something in the cards in the future between Worthy Park and Mount Gay that could be a marriage made in heaven and, and something that, you know, could come together and really thrill the rum world. Is there, I, I know that a lot of people have to be involved in that, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it to you now. Can we get that? Is that going to be something we can make happen? You never know. You're not the you first person know. to ask this. <laughs> You're not you, the first you, person to ask this. You never know what's going to happen. Life is wild. Yeah, <laughs> we've, you know, we've, we've got, I think, you know, you talked about kind of the friendly J- Jamaica Barbados rivalry. I feel like we, this is an extension of that. You know, we have, we have the Foursquare Hampton collab. We need, right. we need the Worthy Park Mount Gay collab. It's, I mean, it's it, only natural at this point. It's a win-win here. <laughs> yeah. They, they said there's a chance, Will. They said there's a there's chance. A they said chance. you never know. I'm, say, I'm saying no comment. Yeah. <laughs> but I will say, yeah. go ahead. I will say I, I I buy a Powerball every time I'm in the states. So, you know, <laughs> I'm a I'm possible. a dreamer. I'm a dreamer. Yeah, no, anything's I, possible. But yeah. I'm glad that our distilleries are good friends. I'm glad yeah. that we're both trying to you know get the message out there about you know we can call each other and commiserate about you know oh my gosh it's raining I'm supposed to harvest in two days oh my gosh you know there's a storm coming all my sugar cane mm. is ripe please stay up. We could talk about, you know, the heat in the sugar mill. We could talk about all sorts of things we're going through. But communicating that with other people, sharing what what a serious undertaking it is. Like I said, uh, building a sugar mill to me was harder than building a distillery. More hmm. technical, more involved, much more challenging. Um, and God. yeah, it's it's a whole other thing that like if you don't do it, it's, it is just a very different experience. So we need to share that more with the world, but the two years it takes before the fermentation even begins that we go through. And I think just, sorry, last point, as Maggie mentioned it, when, when she first, you know, told me that they wanted to bring the team out here and I, I came to my team and I told them, you know what, that, we're we're gonna we want to host the Mount Gay team. Everyone was like, "Wait, they're what? They're they're building <laughs> they're a building sugar, a sugar like, <laughs> like from scratch? Like, like really? Like, I think they're still their mind was blown. But again, it's it did. I applied. I really applied Mount Gay for for going into it because <laughs> yeah, that's one of the the wildest in terms of I can't believe they're doing that. But wow, I can't believe they're doing that. And it, it's it's almost from from our end. It was kind of re reminding us that yeah this is this is, single estate is something cool you know it is it is something that is is special and 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 uncommon but but valued in the industry yeah 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 well, i think gordon told me it's not for the faint of heart i think that's one of the first no, things he told no. me but yeah and it, it is it's a, it's just a very different thing and it's a lot of work it's no gimmick there's no, no. gimmick to these rums yeah the rum and, business and you know, wasn't we, we, tough enough yet to add in the sugar business too no <laughs> and we haven't even talked about cane farming as an industry I, we haven't yeah. even 
I feel like there's an upcoming podcast with your agricultural manager and maybe my agricultural oh, manager. Oh, yeah. Oh, where yeah. they can get wild about. Oh, I would love yeah. to get. Ho- I would love going. to get Hoppy on a podcast, man. He's uh, our our agriculture manager is. He's incredible. And, He's yeah. incredible. Oh. He and Jackie were peas in a pod. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you can call to make it happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seems yeah. like something yeah. we can make happen. Well, we're, 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 there's a chance. There's, there's a chance. chance there's a chance. Happen. You never know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but before we let you go, one final question for you, Zan. Just quick answer. Other than Worthy Park, of course, what was the best thing that you had at UK Rum Fest? Oh, well, I'm interested. Didn't, I didn't see Mount. I didn't see Mount Gay there, so uh, <laughs> yeah, I didn't get to try all this fancy rum that they got going on. <laughs> no, I. I, I Listen, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna disappoint everybody and bore everybody and, and say I am not a good Rumfest experiencer of Rumfest because you know too busy talking at your booth. And, <laughs> I I'm I'm working, guys. He's like working. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm behind the booth. I'm behind the booth. But no, it was you know it, you got obviously you know goes without saying. You know, I had my Barbados wise. I I saw my big four square friends there. You know, St. Nicholas Abbey was there, which was really cool. But there was actually a lot of UK rums, which I yes. thought were were really cool. And and yeah, but I I, I don't want to go on record of saying which ones I like the best. <laughs> I don't want to upset everybody else. But I will say I, I was very impressed by the UK rums that are coming out. That's awesome. Did you try yeah. the, the rum from Isla? No, I did not. No, I did not. I, I was impressed. Yeah? Oh, yeah. All right. I keep hearing good stuff about the UK rums and John and I, we were just doing some episode planning last weekend and we were like, we got to do something with all this UK stuff going on. We did talk, we talked to Kit from Ninefold maybe a year or so ago, but yeah, I just kind of want to do something like surveying the whole scene over Mm -hmm. there. So Mm -hmm. maybe we can make that happen. But have you guys done Ben from Island? We haven't, no. no, but he was on, I'm like, we were, it out there. we were listing, like, different producers. I don't, we were thinking about, like, could we do an episode with, like, a bunch of different producers? I, I, so it's the idea is being in baked kettle. in the oven. In the yeah. And, and, and the island distillery is It's in the vacuum pan. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the pan boilers. Yes, I love yeah. that. I love that. Well, thank you both so much for coming back to the show yet again. Um, yes. A dynamic duo. Always great to see you both. And, Hopefully, we'll all find ourselves together at a, a rum fest sometime in, in the future. Yes, please. Sure, we can make that happen. We got to get yeah. Maggie. Maggie's never leaving Barbados. Got to get her off, off the rock. <laughs> I, I've been very, you know, mingling in the cane fields. So you're right. I need to be more of an outdoor cat. I've been a very indoor cat the last few years. So I need to get oh, to it's... my outdoor cat phase. And I need to, you know. Do your kids' astrologicals readings again? So. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember that podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Way off the rails. <laughs> yeah. Yes, of course. There's got to be a yeah, part two this, to that. This one was a very more of a, a focused, actual, on track uh, podcast. I'm well, you know, you, you you threw the whole the bushwhackers thing. I was going to say, except the for the beginning. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. started with the WWF <laughs> and ended with astrology. So, you know, it was just the it's middle hard. portion that was well, on track. Yeah. 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 <laughs> The middle two hours are on track. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for having me and, and you know, wanting to chat about the geeky world of sugarcane. We, we Absolutely. Don't enough. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, you both for being here. here. 
All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode of the Rumcast. Thanks to Zan and Maggie for taking the time to stop by the show again, share their knowledge, share their time, experience with us. Always great to hear from them. And we'd love to hear from you. If you have more molasses questions, if you'd like to hear more about this, because, I mean, like, I know this is kind of inside baseball stuff, but... There's a lot more <laughs> meat on the bone for us to talk about in this this subject, you know, with Maggie and Sam, with, with other experts as well. So let us know what your questions are about the whole molasses, sugar production, sugar cane, all that good stuff. We'd love to hear from you. You can always email us, host at rumcast.com. That's H-O-S-T at rumcast.com. Or you can message us on social media. John, where can they find us there? Yeah, go on to the the interwebs and find us at the Rumcast at uh, Facebook. You can get us on X, formerly known as Twitter, and you can get us on Instagram. So any one of those formats, you can either just leave a comment on any one of the the episode posts that we do, or send us a DM through there. And we we love to hear from you. And and don't forget, Will, we also want to know about Rum uh, Halloween costumes. That's right. So yeah, I'm Rum Halloween the costumes. Best rum Halloween costumes. Yeah. Um, or if you have leftover takes on the whole you know, Appleton, Jamaica, how many people know about it thing. (laughs) We always love to hear more of those. And uh, we're going to be doing uh, part two of the mailbag, by the way, as a bonus episode for our Patreon subscribers very soon. So if you want to join and get in on that, you can go to patreon.com slash the rumcast that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash the rumcast but i think and that's a happy it, hour yeah the happy hour as we well got, we got happy hour coming up we got november, all kinds of stuff november first all kinds of stuff so join us there we'd love to get to know you more and and talk all things rum but until then john happy halloween and happy enjoy halloween. not dressing up but <laughs> yeah having a calm adult halloween with with no spookiness and, and no festive spirit we're just a couple of party poopers but to all the people out there enjoying halloween happy halloween to you from the rumcast happy halloween everyone